welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the second chapter. Matthew writes, Now when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled, because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, He was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you for joining me today uh, on this uh, final Sunday of the first decade of the 21st century. Quite remarkable. Um, I turned off the furnaces. You may have noticed they've gone quiet. I did it with the smartphone in my pocket. And I did it uh, wondering, should I usually leave it in the desk? But I left it in my pocket for some reason today. And I thought, should I pull that out sitting up here in the chancel of the church, a smartphone that I could remotely uh, turn down the furnaces? Well, I decided, yeah, I'm going to do it because it was getting warm and, uh, and the sound. So, wow, piece of technology that did not exist when the 21st century began. 
a decade ago. And so Naomi, I was really pleased when I saw Naomi walked up and I went, oh, she thinks the psalm is printed in the, uh, in the lectionary here. And she, uh, but instead I saw she had her smartphone in her hand from which she read the psalm. Uh, quite remarkable. That's a first, by the way. So first in the history of the church. Uh, and likewise, then I have sitting on the corner of the lectern here another device recording my voice so that it can be uploaded. Blaine will do that to the podcast that's out there, and I, I commend that to you. Um, and uh, I know that it is now listened to by well, uh, folks both uh, here locally, but uh, uh, distant places in the country here, and even been listened to in Afghanistan, I am told. And so, uh, wow, it is the last Sunday of the first decade of the 21st century. We are, uh, though in the midst of all this technology, also ought to be mindful that it's still coming to the conclusion of the Jewish holiday Hanukkah, Um, a series of days that Jesus would have celebrated, Uh, perhaps even played with a dreidel when he was a boy. Hanukkah, a time for giving of gifts. A celebration again, though, marred this year, if you have... Uh, seen the news in the past 12 hours or so by ongoing anti-Semitic violence. Christians and Jews, certainly the most persecuted of religious traditions around the world. And yet we are here and we worship. For the first Sunday in the season of Christmas, I am also puzzled a little bit. Why would the early church have chosen? And why do we even to this day continue uh, having, uh, in a time when we should be celebrating, a gospel lesson such as I've just read to you? The text we just heard, the 28th of December specifically yesterday, for some 500 plus years now, 1,500 plus years, I'm sorry, some 1,500 plus years, been observed as the commemoration of the Holy innocence. A reminder of tragedy and evil in the midst of celebrating Christmas, Jesus' birth. As I think of this and admit my own sense of conflict over it, in part I suspect the early church wanted to remind Christians, perhaps for all time, that while we rightly proclaim grace, God's grace, as free and accessible to all, God's grace has never been cheap. To remind the church that innocent life, and indeed all life, in the words of the psalm, fearfully and wonderfully made, must be protected. And so Bethlehem. You don't need a road map to find Bethlehem if you're in Jerusalem. Just straight south down the main road a few miles, we'll see you there. It was near the place that Rachel, who in the text today is the personification of all mothers in Israel, experienced the capture and then the exile of their children during the days of the prophet Jeremiah. Thus the text you have. 
To those mothers, the children were no more. And thus Rachel, Israel, was left to weep unconsolably. In today's gospel lesson, it was the turn of Herod, we are told. Herod, having tricked the appearance time out of the wise men, that time that is still yet to come, Epiphany, we'll talk more about it then. And so again, this text seeming to me out of place, talking about the wise men during the celebration of Christmas, but Herod managed to finesse out of the wise men the time of the star's appearance, and then Herod, using his own resources, discovered that a child was to be born in Bethlehem who would rise to become king. For Herod, that information made the next move easy, if not forever disgraceful. For it is said that in a town the size of Bethlehem in those days and in that region, it could be expected that somewhere between 10 and 30 baby boys, two years old and younger, would be found. It was just a short march and an easy dispatch for Herod's squad of soldiers. Herod thought he won, but he was wrong, for he had not anticipated Joseph. I like to think of Joseph as the man of dreams. Joseph perceived through one such dream, we are told, that if the wise men who had by that time visited them, that if the wise men could find his wife and child, so could others. Others who would not take lightly or kindly to any mention of a child in Bethlehem having a royal destiny. And so with Egypt but 90 miles away, speed and stealth drove Joseph. And then Herod soon thereafter died a well-deserved death. And we are told then that the fortunate son, Archelaus, the one Herod didn't have drowned, ruled after him. He was no less cruel than his father, and upon learning that Archelaus ruled now in place of Herod, Joseph eventually located his family in the more familiar and safer streets of Nazareth in Galilee. Now, one must certainly admire Joseph. He gets relatively short play. Uh, we do not hear of him again after Jesus being aged 12 when he was left behind in the temple in Jerusalem. But that's a very busy time for Joseph, wasn't it? And so I think Joseph is certainly deserving of admiration. He wasn't a theologian. He wasn't learned, I suspect, in any academic sense because we were told he was a carpenter. He's a tradesman. Likely, therefore, strong and physical and nevertheless chosen to be the protector. Maybe good job for Joseph the protector of the holy child. And though given this magnificent gift of discernment, of dreaming dreams and being visited by angels in those dreams, in those dreams Joseph experienced angels. At least that's how the Bible explains to us. Joseph's insights, both at the time of the Annunciation of Mary's pregnancy and then again here in order to preserve the life of 
of the infant Jesus. For as we know and as we confess, the child over whom Joseph watched had a destiny to fulfill. And it would take some 30 years, and it would not be easy. Because then again, grace, God's grace, though it may be free to all, God's grace has never been cheap. You know, I've mentioned before, and I'm again mindful of the time when my own son was little, a small child sustained a nasty wound requiring many stitches to close, and when a frightened little boy looked at the gloved and masked stranger who was about to suture that wound, asked, will this hurt? <laughs> and the man said, yes. He wanted to say, but then it will be healed. Then it will heal. For, you see, we know what lie ahead for the baby whose birth we have just celebrated. We know that when he was less than half my age, Jesus would come to no pain to a degree we cannot even comprehend today, just as the prophet Isaiah foretold. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his stripes we are healed. Grace may be free, but grace has never been cheap. Now, this was important to Matthew, as we've shared before. While Luke spoke a Christmas story, as we know it, of angels and shepherds, Matthew sought to show by convincing evidence from the prophets of old, from Scripture, that Jesus was and now remains the Messiah. And the church declared him even the Son of God. And Jesus remains the fullest expression of the sacred and divine. Together, creation is ever known. And so it is on this last Sunday of the first decade of the 21st century, we take a look back and ask, what do we see? How do you interpret it? I doubt that many of us are going to say the past 10 years were easy, even though some may say, but nonetheless, they were good. I find myself in that place. And so it is, I think, though, on this Sunday, we are better off to look forward, to look forward. And as I've said before, and so remind us all, ending well is essential to beginning well. And confident that in whatever lies ahead, God's grace, God's grace will be sufficient to see us through in the decade to come. In the decade to come, there will be triumphs and tragedies, opportunities seized, and opportunities missed. And through them all, there will be God's grace. Not the cheap grace of the TV religious huckster, but the deep and costly grace that the people of God have 
come to know and to rely upon in good times and in bad. And so, in one word, Emmanuel, God is with us. From our, your, my Christmas to my Easter, our birth to our death, and then to our resurrection. We travel by faith, not by sight, mindful that grace may be free, but God's grace has never been cheap. In John's Gospel, when Jesus' words struck hard at the understanding of adoring crowds, such that many said, this is too hard, and they ceased following, Jesus put the question directly and straight to his disciples. Did they too want to turn back from the path they were upon? And not surprising, the one who speaks on behalf of the twelve was Peter. And John recorded his answer this way. Because of this, John writes, Jesus' teaching, his words, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let us therefore then on this final Sunday of the first decade of this new century pray for God's grace, the costly kind the costly grace, to see us through whatever the new year brings. For you see, God's grace has long proved sufficient, but God's grace has never been cheap. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 Kale Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.